And welcome to the book podcast. We're going to keep reading in Proust today. Uh, this is the fourth episode and the warm-up episodes from In Search of Lost Time. So we just had the beginnings where a person is about to fall asleep and is entering this kind of dream state where his imagination is, is starting to warm up and it becomes this blend or kind of it's a bit hard to, to know what is half dreaming and what is reality. And this is a way of transitioning into the this whole this whole landscape, this whole mass of life that we are going to be presented through the whole work of 4,000 pages. And uh, we're going to keep reading now. When a man is asleep, he has in a circle round him the chain of the hours, the sequence of the years, the order of the heavenly host. Instinctively, when he awakes, he looks to these and in an instant reads off his own position on the earth's surface and the amount of time that has elapsed during his slumbers. But this ordered procession is apt to grow confused and to break its ranks. Suppose that, towards morning, after a night of insomnia, sleep descends upon him while he is reading, in quite a different position from that in which he normally goes to sleep, he has only to lift his arm to arrest the sun and turn it back to its course. And, at the moment of waking, he will have no idea of the time, but will conclude that he has just gone to bed. Or suppose that he gets drowsy in some even more abnormal position. Sitting in an armchair, say after dinner, then the world would fall topsy-turvy from its orbit, the magic chair will carry him at full speed through time and space, and when he opens his eyes again, he will imagine that he went to sleep months earlier in some far distant country. But for me, it was enough if, in my own bed, my sleep was so heavy as completely to relax my consciousness. For then I lost all sense of the place in which I had gone to sleep. And when I awoke at midnight, not knowing where I was, I could not be sure at first who I was. I had only the most rudimentary sense of existence, such as may lurk and flicker in the depths of an animal's consciousness. I was more destitute of human qualities than the cave dweller, but then the memory, not yet of the place in which I was, but of various other places where I had lived, and might now very possibly be, would come like a rope let down from heaven to draw me up out of the abyss of not being from which I could never have escaped by myself. In a flash, I would traverse and surmount centuries of civilization and out of a half-visualized succession of oil lamps, followed by shirts with turned-down colors, would put together by degrees the component parts of my ego. You might think of the ego more as like myself in this context. So... Now we're getting into this, the experience of Proust as being very elaborate and detailed. And there is a purpose to this because it's, it's continuously a, a, an effort to, to kind of expand your mind and to, to train and nuance your, your thinking and experience and emotion while you're reading it. Uh, and it's also playing with yet another thing here, which is uh, the, the state of being when you wake up and before you kind of gotten to your senses or kind of when you 
you know where you are and and you kind of found back to yourself like you've been lost in a dream or you have been maybe if you have a clear dream you you kind of been uh another person or at least like uh another another earlier version of yourself in another another place and then when you wake up you kind of have to look around and then oh no i'm here <laughs> this is the place i'm i'm living now or like this where i'm <laughs> sleeping now and then um you start to get like oh you're weak and and things and kind of people like the whole what constitutes your your life in the moment as the component parts of of himself as he says both meaning like who he feels inside and and like what's around him so uh this is also a way of warming up to to fully live yourself into the story of the person in in the book uh, whose name is Marcel, but it's not fully an autobiography of Marcel Proust, but it is, uh, in to a large extent, it's kind of there are parallels or overlappings. So um, it's a it's a way of, I mean, in general, like reading a, a novel. If you're being drawn really into a novel, it is a bit like you're dreaming. Or at least you're living in your imagination for a little while. So that's that is why he, what he is alluding to and warming up. Okay, so a little bit more. Perhaps the immobility of the things that surround us is forced upon them by our conviction that they are themselves and not anything else, and by the immobility of our conceptions of them. There's another thing here that this was written around for the early 1900s. So there, some parts of this are new psychology or like new neuroscience. So this is a bit like this phenomenology thing that what you see is not really what is there, but it is that your brain is making up concepts to try to understand what you see. So if you see a cup, you really just see a, f a flow of, of <laughs> different colors, like colored light into your eyes and then the brain is imposing this concept of a cup upon that flow of of kind of information uh, and and that's how you think and perceive it as a cup so uh, he's introducing a more like scientific psychology also in part here for it always happened that when i awoke like this and my mind struggled in an unsuccessful attempt to discover where I was, everything would be moving round me through the darkness. Things, places, years. My body, still too heavy with sleep to move, would make an effort to construe the form which its tiredness took as an orientation of its various members, so as to induce from that where the wall lay and the furniture stood to piece together and to give a name to the house in which it must be living. Its memory, the composite memory of its ribs, knees, and shoulder blades, offered it a whole series of rooms in which it had at one time or another slept, while the unseen walls kept changing, adapting themselves to the shape of each successive room that it remembered, whirling madly through the darkness. And even before my brain, lingering in consideration of when things had happened and of what they had looked like, 
had collected sufficient impressions to enable it to identify the room, it, my body, would recall from each room in succession what the bed was like, where the doors were, how daylight came in at the windows, whether there was a passage outside, what I had had in my mind when I went to sleep, and had found there when I awoke. The stiffened side underneath my body would, for instance, in trying to fix its position, imagine itself to be lying, face to the wall, in a big bed with a canopy. And at once I would say to myself, Why? I must have gone to sleep after all. And Mama never came to say goodnight. For I was in the country with my grandfather, who died years ago, and my body, the side upon which I was lying, loyally preserving from the past an impression which my mind should never have forgotten, brought back before my eyes the glimmering flame of the nightlight in its bowl of bohemian glass, shaped like an urn and hung by chains from the ceiling, and the chimney piece of Siena marble in my bedroom at Compray, in my great-aunt's house, in those far distant days which, at the moment of walking, of waking, seemed present without being clearly penned, but would become plainer in a little while when I was properly awake. So here we have another long paragraph. We're easing in this, the whole style of Proust, which is long-winded and full of detail. And then often we will see that you have all the nuanced, detailed thinking, and then you get one little image of some color or some object and it stands out and kind of glimmers <laughs> and there's some beauty because in part of the contrast that is very, um, he's not using kind of the, the visual like, uh, splendor often, but he's doing it in a small, like in, in a small measure sometimes and then it stands more out. And he's introducing here uh, Combray, which is the, it's kind of his childhood, childhood uh, paradise. And then so from abstract thinking, you get the objects that he alluded to when talking about conceptions, because then he suddenly, indirectly, he's putting conceptions into the story of a bohemian glass, a glimmering flame, Siena marble, in the great aunt's house. You get some people in into the, the, the mind sphere of the beginning of the story. Uh, and then also then when he's waking up, the moment he's waking, seem present without being clearly penned, uh, but would complain in a little while when I was properly awake. So it's he's still in this from waking up knowing nothing to gradually piecing it together and becoming closer to having this kind of moment where you're fixed and you know, at least to some extent, that you're being aware and woken up and you know the, the brain has changed into this awake mode. So um, we're gonna stop it there. It was <laughs> two paragraphs and twelve minutes. So um, it's um, it's a joy to read this because it's it's full of it's it's building up or constructing um, a way of reading and thinking that was is gradually filled with more and more beauty and wisdom. And and the, there is a point to having such a mass of text here as well. Because it, it it's a way of 
filling up kind of a, a body of experience and then you can start reflecting on it which you will do afterwards so there's um, there's a specific purpose also to this style here okay so we're going to stop this one here and um, hope you enjoyed some of this and had some maybe some food for thought or some inspiration and um, as always thank you so much for listening and have a great day <laughs>